man, 2020, what a damn shit show. Thanks to the amazing folk at Bella Catering who have survived the COVID-19 outbreak in Australia as we are starting to wake back up for sponsoring and bringing us this week's show. If you guys want to cater, and you're in Oz, bellacatering.com.au. Catering doesn't mean planning a huge event. It might just mean that for the first time in many months, you've been able to have a stack of your friends and family over, and who the hell wants to cook? You're probably doom scrolling through your Twitter, shitting bricks that now North Korea is firing off shit at South Korea. Go to bellacatering.com.au. Get off Twitter just for a split second. Thank you for listening. Bellacatering.com.au. Now, all the President's Minutes. This is a fucking weird time. Mm. In like 1993, I'm, I, I'm not sure what year it was, but I was in L.A., I had smoked a joint, and I was watching the movie Apocalypse Now. It was like just after four o'clock in the morning, and what, what, what later would become to known the Northridge earthquake happened. It felt like it started in my apartment. You know, I'm from east of the Mississippi. On this side, we don't know what earthquakes are about. I got to tell you something, man. Excuse me for burping. This shit was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Uh, a lot of things went through my mind. I was, I was like, not naked, but you know what I mean? Just, walk, just chilling in my boxes. Uh, I put my clothes on. I found a, my weed and some, uh, a pipe and, some, and a lighter and, and some money and my keys, all these things. While the earthquake is happening, while I'm experiencing what an earthquake is the first time, and I was certain that I would, might very possibly die. As a matter of fact, I remember I made a point not to scream, just in case I lived, I wouldn't have to remember myself being vocally terrified. But I forgave myself for being terrified. That earthquake couldn't have been more than 35 seconds. This man kneeled on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Can you imagine that? This kid thought he was going to die. He knew he was going to die. He called for his mother. He called for his dead mother. I've only seen that once before in my life. My father, on his deathbed, called for his grandmother. When I watched that tape, I understood this man knew he was gonna die. People watched it. People filmed it. And for some reason that I still don't understand, all these fucking police had their hands in their pockets. Who are you talking to? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me today is a film and culture critic for Culture Map in Houston, Houston Chronicle, amongst other publications. Also a podcast host of the podcast, Everything is Cancelled. But 
I've sampled his wares and his forthright opinion largely on his extremely entertaining and insightful Twitter, at Uncle Crizzle. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig Lindsay, Uncle Crizzle, welcome to All the President's Minutes. Oh, it's, 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 it's an honor. It's, it's, it's basically, I've, I've made it into the big league <laughs> when I'm doing a Blake Howard podcast. I guess I finally made it. I'm up here with, you know, uh, Bilga and uh, John Burns and Manola Dargis and, and, you know, Cam Towns, all these, all these people, and just like all these, you know, character actors and, and filmmakers and whatnot who've done your shows. So I'm just like, I, I'm just glad to finally have somebody invite me on their damn podcast. <laughs> it's so rare Well, I want, I'm, I'm thrilled that you could come on the podcast and don't, and don't say that it's a, it's a big, it's a big family here of folk and, uh, and, and I feel like the most out of place person in all of those names that you just rattled off. It sometimes scares the shit out of me too that they've ever been on a show with me. Um, yeah. It's I mean, it's crazy trying to get people on a podcast. I, I you know I have a podcast. I live here in Houston, and I try to invite people I know <laughs> in the city of Houston to be on my podcast, and it's just like, oh no, I can't do it. I got. I got a car thing or whatever. It's <laughs> just like, I got to go. I got to go literally outside city limits <laughs> like you have to get people. Cause it's, it's, that's, that's, I guess been like one of the positives of social media is just like getting people outside of, you know, your area, your region yeah, to you know, connect and talk to different people. Cause it's like, if I did stuff with the same people I know, I'd be asked out. Yeah, I, I, I won't. I'll tell a funny like inside podcast story, which is that there's a very, very well known Australian critic who has a great show in this country. Mm-hmm. Who I asked mm-hmm. to come on the show, actually a couple of them, who like live in Sydney, pre COVID, yeah. live here, and I'm like, I'll come anywhere. I don't mind popping in your house. I'll bring all the gear. You just give me your time, or I'll come to your office, or I'll come to your studio, whatever you want. I'll bring some gear. We're good. And I can't get those guys ever. They're just like so, so mm. miraculously so busy. And then like Manola comes on like three times. Yeah. And I'm like, how, how does, in my mind, the greatest living film critic have time to come on my show three times and she lives in freaking LA and you guys in Sydney can't come on. It's a bit of a funny one. It's a bit of a funny one. But, it's, you know. I, it's, but, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy because just like it's not even like people on that statue like motherfuckers got like <laughs> like I don't know like I'm like they're somewhere knitting they gotta like hey can I keep you on my podcast no I'm just like I, like I'm go to that part of town I don't know if you hear that shit we're just like people just saying like oh that's north side that's too far I just can't do that just, by the way I forgot to ask you I mean I listen to the podcast but can we curse yeah of course we can. Okay, yeah, so these motherfuckers, they just don't, you know, for, they have whatever reason. And just like people I've known for years, I just, and it's got to the point now, of course, with COVID and the pandemic, and anything, like, you, we don't even have to meet. We could do the stuff we're doing now or call yeah, up or call whatever. Up. And still, it's, it's always a problem. So it's always, it's always easy getting people you would not suspect <laughs> yeah. from another part of the, 
world. <laughs> and they said, okay, I'll do it. And I'm like, all right. Well, I, I guess, okay. Well, I do it. I guess it's fine. So. I'm always pleasantly surprised. I genuinely the incredible array of people that I've gotten to speak to and be connected with. And like, especially COVID has accelerated it. And for some folk, it's made it easier because they they've had to learn how to like communicate with the Skypes and the Zooms and digitally like, and, and for me, it's been my bread and butter through all my podcasts. So I, I, I love, I love that for this, like, I love that connection and, you know, and then I get to talk to you. That's fun. And also there's this new thing. I don't know how it is over in, over in Australia. But over here in America, like the whole big thing now uh, during the pandemic is communicating people to through Zoom. Yeah. And we, I, don't, I don't know if you want to just like we're talking through Skype. Yes. And people, you know, it's, 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 it's like it's like the MySpace Facebook <laughs> battle all over again, where it's just people just like I, I actually uh, on my podcast I asked a person. Like, do you want to communicate through Skype? And she just like just said, "I haven't been on Skype in ten years." Excuse the fuck out of me. All right, I'm sorry. I guess we'll try to do something else then. We're gonna do Skype because apparently Skype is Skype is out of touch or whatever. It's not cool. It's not it's not shishi enough. <laughs> I just I I now have uh, I've just you know I'm like. We can do Skype, we can do Zoom, we can do FaceTime, we can do a phone call. I don't give a shit. As long as there's a way for us yeah. to communicate, then and and, yeah. and we're happy, especially if, especially if I know the guests. I, I just like to be able to see people's faces because I feel like when we're meeting for the first time and you're interacting yeah. over something, you kind of can get a bit more of a sense of the energy of the, of the conversation. But once you've done that and you know the person, it's like, man, I'll, I'll call you on your, your mum's house phone. I don't care. Like as long as the audio, as long yeah. as I can – plug you in and the audio sounds great for folks listening. That's, that's completely great. Uh-huh. So it is a tumultuous time. And this movie, all the president's men and this podcast, all the president's minutes has been going through this Redford and Pakula 76 masterpiece. I've been looking at it. We began looking at it largely as like, the energy of the time in 1976 when it was made and, you know, earlier in 74, which is based was feeling like it was echoing, you know, our time, all of the kind of weird political fuckery. And I was, you know, I think that what started in this show was yearning for like, man, I wish that journalism could speak truth to power and hold people accountable. And even more so in the last few months, it's now, uh, especially triggered by the death of George Floyd, the insane upheaval, rightly so, of peaceful protests and then violence and all that sort of stuff. It just, so many people are like, well, now we're living in our own little version of 1968 to 1980 American, you know, social, political and civil rights discourse again. We're having to like relive a moment because clearly argument, it hasn't stuck. By the way, not to interrupt, but like according to Ben Shapiro, <laughs> yeah. we we will be going to back to that time, which is crazy because I'm thinking like, oh, oh, the seventies where there's like all this classic black movies and black music and great movies like All the President's Man and casual sex. Let's hey, let's go. <laughs> That's I think that was my I I I, I hate to say it, but I loved that Ben Shapiro tweet. Because so many of the responses in my timeline, like all of our probably mutual follows, were just lighting him up with like 
movies, music, free love. Let's go, baby. Let's do this thing. Like, I'm yeah. in. Um, so, yeah, I just feel like that new Hollywood moment is sort of being relived now. What's your What's your relationship to this movie? Have you, you know, is it something that you revisit? Is it something that you remember fondly? Or is it something that kind of you're, you're new to? Well, uh, the movie came out in April of 76, right? Yes. Well, I was born in July of 76. I'm a bicentennial baby, a.k.a. I'm old. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, you know, that whole year, that was just like a bomb-ass year for movies. Yeah. You know, my, like, like great movies, like, you know, just, like, Rocky, Taxi Driver, All, uh, All Presents, Man, Assault on Precinct 13, which is one of my favorites. And, uh, you know, it's funny, because I saw it before I saw it in my, in my high school journalism class, which is funny to me, because it's just like, like, I, 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 I was already uh, well-established with the movie before, we got the, you know, preliminary, you know, because of course, like, All the Presidents of Man is one of those movies you just watch in journalism class. Every, 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 it's like the ba the basic curriculum. If you don't watch All the Presidents Men in a journalism class to start off with, that <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, 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 not, you're not in a journalism class, basically. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all the we saw All the Presidents of Men and uh, broadcast news. Yeah. With you and stuff like that, so just so yeah, I, I saw it already, and like I I I enjoyed it, regardless of where to seeing it in journals and class. I just love it. it's just a well, it's a well made movie, well made movie made that was released during the same year I was born, and it's just one of those movies that I've come to just. Uh, love and admire from that decade and also because um uh like back in i think of the yards and stuff like they it was released part of a a box set of like uh warmers uh released a box set of of uh of movies about the media it was just like it was that it was network and it was uh a dog day afternoon and uh when I actually got a job at a newspaper where I was a film critic for several years at the uh, Raleigh News and Observer, I actually reviewed that box set and just talk about the, 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 those movies and just how much I, I, I you know, enjoyed and grew up watching those movies. And just, you know, I just, I was always like a big fan of movies from that era, the 70s and whatnot, and just. And just, you know, just looking back on it recently when uh, you gave me the call that I was going to be on this podcast and uh, just looking back on it, it's just like, it's just one of those, yeah, you know, I've, I've listened to other episodes that you've done and just talked about how it's just like, it's, it's such a um, signature movie in terms of getting uh, the uh, the feel of a newspaper. Yeah. Of uh, a newsroom like that, that fluorescent lighting and just the hustle bustle and whatnot. Because that was kind of the same thing that that I was ready to get into when I, before I got the job at the paper. I mean, I was, I was uh, like, I went to, like, I remember when I, uh, I, 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 I was the, uh, 
I, 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 I applied for two jobs at two papers, one in Fort Worth and one in Raleigh, and I didn't get the Fort Worth one. But they they flew me out to, you know, Raleigh, they flew me out to Fort Worth and just getting that uh, that feeling, that, that newsroom feeling. Yes. Just, uh, just, uh, just everything going all the way, the same way it is in movies like All the President's Men. It's like, Yes, I want to be a part of that. <laughs> yes. I want to be a part of all that. <laughs> it's and also, I, I guess I hadn't really put it together so much now, but it's like if you've ever worked like you have in a hustle bustle newsroom, and there's that energy, it's like you must also be able to work with the chaos of Twitter flickering on your phone or on your desktop, even in, in your isolation, because that constant stream of distraction and still being able to work, that is a talent you probably acquired. <laughs> is a talent you probably acquired while being in a newsroom, while there's a hustle bustle, while no one's shutting up, while people are on the phone constantly while you're doing that. Um, you know, you, you would have been on the cusp of like sort of the very old school paper media and that, that evolution into digital, right? Well, yeah, that's, that's the the crazy thing because when I was working at, at a daily, by yeah. the way, just I—it's one of those things where it's just like uh, I don't know how it is over in your neck of the woods, but you know we have daily papers here, we have weekly papers here, yeah. and I found that I get more freedom and just you just you just find different ways to, to, you know, flex your creativity and also working with people who like always trying to uh, find different ways and not do the same thing in a daily. Yes. You know, rather than a weekly, like there are people in day, like just, just working it daily. I always feel just like, just like I could always like do, you know, a lot more, but, uh, but when in a, in a dance, Working, I've worked in the like the the mid to late aughts. Yes, in a daily, uh, and this was right when uh, Twitter was just starting. Yes. Matter of fact, actually, I forget what it is, but just like I just found out uh, last night that uh, I've been on Twitter for twelve years. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. It's just, that's how long Twitter's been around. <laughs> but it's just, um, yeah. So just like you know, I I was I was one of those people that just was just discovering Twitter. Yes. Like I had friends just beginning to get on Twitter, so it wasn't like this major thing. People forget Twitter wasn't a, a big thing when it was around. It was like it just like it was like a cult thing. Yeah, and uh, so I remember, I remember, like, in, I started- I remember in university there was a, we we're in a class, and it was a social media class, and they kind of did it like a a straw poll of like where people were at, and at that time I wasn't on any social media. And I remember yeah. there was this like one girl and like, it was like, who's on MySpace? And it was like a whole bunch of what you'd, you know, you'd expect, like just like girls and a couple of like good looking dudes. Like they're all on MySpace. It's just basically a glorified hookup zone. There's a few older people and a, a mix of older and younger. A couple of people have gotten on Facebook. And then there was just this one lone girl on Twitter. And she's like, yeah, I'm on Twitter. It's great. And like, well, like she was talking about it and describing it. And I remember at that time, like going, oh, Twitter sounds all right because she says you can interact with like the real people. Like you can 
talk to a filmmaker, you can talk to an actor, like you can follow people that you like and publications. But I remember when she was like listening to the rest of the conversation, I was like watching her and she was like sneering at everyone. Like, ugh, I can't believe you're on Facebook. <laughs> I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm a trailblazer. I'm, I'm in the cult already. But, you know, I, I kind of think she was right. Well, I mean, that's, that's how it was back in the day because, like, there was, like I mentioned earlier, like the, the, the MySpace Facebook war mm. where, like, MySpace was, was just, like, MySpace was around first, but it was just, like, this thing. But And then Facebook came along and kind of just blew everything out of the water and yeah. just, like, it got to the point where people were just, um, uh, just, you know, just, just dropping out of MySpace and getting on Facebook and then Twitter got on there, you know, with the with the one hundred, I think one hundred twenty, one hundred forty characters. And I was just like everybody else, like, what the hell am I going to say <laughs> on <laughs> Facebook? I, I remember one of the first times I I went on Facebook and I just said, "Hey, I'm drinking some liqueur on a Saturday. I don't know what the fuck you want me to say. Like, I don't know if anybody's paying attention." It was like, it was just like this sense of just like, does it, do anybody truly care about what I have to say? And <laughs> I, I still feel that way now. Just like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm not getting any major likes or retweets. So what, why am I still on this shit? Just to look on like who's dead and who's got canceled. You know, that's the only reason why you're on Twitter these days. And I just remembered like being like, being like on in the early stages of that being one of the few people on Twitter and then telling people at my at my job at my daily newspaper, like what you know, just just what this is and they were, and it was like the same response, like, I, what 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 the hell is that? And, <laughs> and they didn't exactly know how because like newspapers, especially daily newspapers around that time were trying to figure out how to just to just get the whole online thing going. I mean, we had blogs and we trying to figure out how to weave that shit online, trying to do the whole thing where it's like we get the online audience to go online and, you know, do, you know, try to get, you know, have them pay for the papers and say, you know, print, just print is just dead all over the place. And just, it's always been a struggle. And it's also always, it's always been a struggle. It was always a struggle for just people trying to figure out just the online aspect of things. I remember I would see people uh, in the newsroom looking at old-ass viral videos <laughs> and whatnot. They were talking about it, and I felt like, I don't know if you ever seen Despicable Me, where that scene where Gru tells like his, uh, his henchmen, like, why do you have to be so old? It's just like, just people, just, just like old people generally just always late to shit and just yeah. in their old ways and now I'm I'm officially part of that. <laughs> and just, but like I always enjoyed I always enjoyed working for it daily because it's just like it just you know you can always all people especially working with great people and and you know there's been this thing I don't know if you heard over there where it's just like uh, people and you know, there's that whole bon appetit thing where the guy who ran Bon Appetit was, was, uh, I don't know, just like, uh, just, uh, bigoted and racist as fuck. Now, listen to people of color and, 
working with dailies and working with certain people I knew as editors and like you could tell they they knew how to talk to black people and minorities and that was always nice like oh I could fuck with you because you just want want stories and ideas and just always that I, I was always great working in daily environment daily newspaper environment dealing with those people well where now at the 59th minute of this movie and we've got as daily news uh, uh, an editorial conversation as it gets you're, you're yeah because I, I get I was a little afraid like because we've been talking so much like I guess we could talk about the <laughs> no no I I think it's uh, one of the questions I usually ask when we start the shows folks know is like their experience and I I, I find it fascinating an experience that you've had that a couple of guests have had so far, including my best friend, Maria Lewis, who's a journo is you guys seem to go into the newsroom right at the same time. And, you know, she's a, Mm -hmm. she's a woman of color as well. So it's like the uh, really fascinating to just hear what it's like when people are trying to figure out and wrangle with what we deal with now every day. Like news is news does not exist in papers. So rarely, like even in Australia, we still have quite a large paper, industry like newspapers are pretty popular and whatnot but it's just like it's everything's online so i love to hear stories like that about what your experiences is still in a daily like the concept of still a daily the concept of a newsroom that's wrangling with it and i love what you're like i cannot you can also see the writing on the wall of like people don't understand what's coming that's a really nice thread because that's the the great comparison of this movie is like it's so authentic and it's so on point and it's just so funny to like compare and contrast like trying to imagine what these guys would be like at this precipice between, you know, between print and between, you know, online and even now later. But. Well, well you know, it's like when I was growing up, when, when I was going to college, I mean, yeah, it's just, cause I want to be, you know, I just want to be a journalist. And that was kind of like the thing in the, in the mid nineties. And Houston was originally a two paper town. Yes. There was the Houston Chronicle and there was the Houston Post. And then just one day, in 1995, the Houston Post shut down, Whoa. and just the just that was kind of that was the end of the whole two paper existence. And even then, I realized at that point, like when there there is going to be a sea change, like there's just like just this is like the right on the wall. In my in my opinion, just like just people won't need papers as much as they you know they're supposed to because it's just like as like if 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 a, if a city as big as houston and can't survive with just two papers then you know just the future is going to be a lot less you know you're gonna need uh print journalism a lot less and i and i just realized this even in the in the mid 90s yes and just like and even and even then, I was still like, well, I guess you know, I keep on doing this shit until <laughs> hopefully something better comes along. And it's just like it hasn't. But <laughs> yeah, but I still, but but it's still like a thing, like being a journalist or you know, just in my just you know, something you want to do because like writing is in one of the few things I'm good at. So it's just just like try to make a living out of that as much as I can. You got to make <clears throat> well. Here's, here's what a conversation is like 
uh, in the paper right now about their livelihood. Speaking of a two-paper town going to one and the Post thinking that yep. and feeling like it's not going to exist, Craig and I are going to watch the 59th minute of Alan J. Pakula's 1976 masterpiece together. You guys are going to listen along and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Yes. Well, that almost no other papers are reprinting our stuff. Okay. Look, there are over 2,000 reporters in this town. Are there five on Watergate? Where did the Washington Post suddenly get the monopoly on wisdom? Why would the Republicans do it? McGovern is self-destructing, just like Humphrey, Muskie, the bunch of them. I don't believe the story. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Bradley, you'll see us now. Are you trying to find the lowest possible common denominator that your plan and convention? There it is. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so we want to start. We talk about uh, where uh, uh, Balsam and Robards are talking to the, I think, the city editor played by guest John McMartin. Yes. Well, okay. I, no, 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 I, I, I always start with one line or one thing that just leaps out at me. I love Bradley's feet on the table, and I love that his shoes are worn. There's just one little detail I love that he's like, he, yeah. he's, 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 he is a for, at least a former shoe leather journalist. And I also love, I love every extra that's working in this movie in the dynamic newsrooms. And I just love, there's one line you can hear really pronounced in this minute. It's one guy, it's one guy or one gal going, so is, are you going for the lowest common denominator? Is that what you're going for? Yeah. And I just wonder if it's like a copy editor, like giving a journalist shit about like, is that what you're going for with this piece? The lowest common denominator? Yeah. But no, this minute is a wonderful one because exactly uh, as we started to say is it is the, the fear that you're chasing a story that doesn't, that, that doesn't end that no one else is on mm -hmm. and, and contrary to kind of that romanticized vision um, of journalists being, you know, constantly being a person who's getting an exclusive or constantly trailblazing or things like that, it's putting them out on a, on a limb. It's, it's risk. There's safety in, you know, a huge political event. You know, it's going to be covered. It's newsworthy. People want to know about it, but chasing down these leads when they don't really know what the story is yet um, is starting to, to call some of their editors, you know, John McMartin as, uh, as one of them and Martin Balsam. Um, it's starting to cause them a little bit of concern and hesitation. Well, it's, it's, it's always just, I think like at that point in the movie, there are just, cause of course, like, uh, you got, um, you know, Martin Balsam and, uh, Jack Warden's characters who are just like, who are just helping along. Uh, Woodward and or is it now officially known at this point? Woodsy. Woodsy, yeah. Yeah, it just, uh, you know, they, like, these, these kids, these hungry kids, <laughs> they want to be a part of it. And, and you know, and uh, Bradley Robard, of course, on the fence. And you have somebody like John McMartin. And by the way, I don't know if I haven't listened to all 
the episodes of this podcast, but have y'all just talked about just the, the, the amount, just the, the list of guest stars? Of, of, the, of, the, the, of this incredible cast. No, it's come around in, in bits and pieces, but I think we've been stuck in the newsroom for some time now. Like there's some great stuff, but like now almost like from the leap off point, as we pass the hour mark, that's when you get the, I think the true breadth of this incredible cast, you get the Jane Alexanders and you get um, the, the Penny Fullers and you get, um, uh, 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 Robert Walden as Segretti, like you get all those folk late, like it's all coming later as the movie goes, but like the, the, yeah, it's an absolutely ridiculously stacked cast who've all had these huge careers. Um, and they're, they only get like three minutes in this movie to do anything and then they leave and they get out of there. Well, I just, I just love that when I, when I first saw it at the end, there was in the credits, they just was guest stars. I had like, there was, cause here's, this is a, this is a small little thing, but like when I was a kid, when I would watch movies, because I grew up in the eighties, I would be I would I would get obsessed with these movies that would have like you know special appearances by and have like a a list special cameo appearances by like like National <laughs> Lampoon's Vacation and and fucking the Muppet movies and everything. It was like these special special cameo. I actually like I think one time in nineteen eighty eight, I I like wrote. I, I typed up a list of all these movies that I had on VHS which had special cameo appearances and special guest stars and I always found it funny that that something like like all the president's men have a list of guest stars and that's just like a that's just my thing. But no, getting back no, no, to no, but but it is good because it's just like what you're what you're unintentionally realizing is that that was in someone's contract. Someone's agent said that for them to be in this movie for X amount of bucks in the credits that that needs to say special guest. Like they that was what they hung there, you know, that's the battle lines that were drawn. If you want me for a day. Really? You know, that's that's the that's the root cause BS of a lot of that. Like special appearance by and where they appear in credits. It's such a an old school Hollywood thing. And in this movie, the funniest one is that Robert Redford was allowed to go first in the credits on the poster, but Dustin Hoffman mm-hmm. had to go first on the credits in the movie. Yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, what the fuck? It's like, uh, the whole Tom Cruise, the firm thing. Yeah. Where it's just like Tom Cruise and Gene Hackman get top billing yes. in the movie. But, uh, you know, you don't see Gene Hackman's name in the poster for the firm and shit like that. So it's, it's, they're, they're the ones where I'm just like some agent or someone made an industry out of that seemingly like nothing thing. Like, yeah. And only obsessives are hanging around for the credits, like maybe you or I, who are like special appearance by. Like, why is that a special appearance? It's a movie. Yeah. It's not a TV. Like on a TV show, it makes sense, right? Special appearance by a special guest. And and the and the most egregious one was like, um, what was it? Heather Locklear in Melrose Place, who was like special, oh, special guest star. Special guest star, like, yeah, like and she was there for like eight seasons. Every, <laughs> yeah, she was a special guest star. Is like Jonathan Harrison lost the face. But it's just, I like, even in this movie, because, like, I remember I was watching the opening credits, and there'd be, like, special appearance by Martin Balsam. Mm. 
And I'm like, this motherfucker's in half the movie. What is a special appearance? <laughs> it's a it's a long, it's it's a longer appearance, but it's nonetheless yeah. special. Another thing I was obsessed about <laughs> like when I was growing up watching like watching posters and ads and papers, just like there would be the, the actor in and they, their name would be in a box. Really? Yeah. Would it be like, like you would, they, be, would they be the and? Would they it be, wouldn't be and. They would be like in like the like they'd get top billing or like they would be in the Oh, so it's underscoring the, the it'd be underscoring the top billing so much that their name's in a box. Yeah. Yeah, they, I would always see that shit. It'd just be like like in like on like a poster or whatever or an ad for uh, for a movie or a newspaper and just be like fucking just like Robert Shaw in a box. <laughs> like that means something. And hey. it's always something like, why is why is Robert Shaw's name you know, encased in a box in the credits? So He's anointed. He's anointed. Yeah, exactly. Quint, whoever when, when, else. when you're Quint from Jaws, your name is forever captured in a box from then on. Yeah. Just, yeah, just, just go back and like look at old posters and just see like somebody's name just be like Charles Nelson Riley in a box or whatever. <laughs> Robert Shaw makes sense. Yeah. Charles Nelson Riley is a stretch. Um, yeah. So we're here in this newsroom. There's concern over this. What do you yeah. – what, what's the – what do you love about this minute? Because I, I mean, John McMartin, like, literally, is the foreign editor in this whole sequence, and gets to be this—I don't know—like fortune teller, essentially. Of like, I don't believe it. You know, he's playing devil's advocate. I don't believe it. Why would they do it? We've seen this government implode. It's like he's like the cynicism incarnate in this scene, and that's kind of his whole. Yeah. Role. We don't get to really see him do much else, but I, I, I do love that in this moment you see Bradley ask him to stick around because he wants to hear it. Like he wants to hear from yeah. these guys. Like, are we going down the garden path with this? Yeah, well, I think that's that's the that's the point. Like I mentioned, earlier, like like you know, Robert Robert uh, Ben Bradley's on the, on the fence, and like Baldwin and Warden, they kind of like support again. And then you have somebody like John McMartin, who is just like you know, he's that's another voice in there to to and like just just the, the speculation. This is this what yeah. you know they. Is this really a thing? Is this like really happened? Nobody's really talking about it much. Like, what are these guys even talking about? And I think that like adds emphasis on it wasn't just a communal thing where it's like, yeah, let's all get Nixon, let's all get figure out what this is all about. It's like there is there is some, some trepidation and blowback. And I just think that is just like just the, the idea of the uh, the storytelling just to show how just. There, there are, there were people that thought, like, like, what are we doing? Is this a real story to go through? And is, is this, as, as we go into the next scene, where it's just like uh, uh, Woodward and Bernstein are walking to, uh, you know, Bradley's office, so, and also that I love that scene because it's the first. I feel it's like it's the first instance at that point in the movie where. Uh, Woodward and Bernstein are literally a unified front. They are walking like they're walking in unison, like almost marching to the 
you know, to the uh, to, to the head of the, you're, the throne. You're hundred percent right. I think the last time that you see them is in you know begins in the thirtieth minute with the, the, that you see them together in unison in that wonderful Library of Congress shot. But when they're stepping yeah. into the Library of Congress and out of yeah, the Library of Congress, they're they're uh, at a great distance between each other. Like they're they're yeah, you know, they're Bern, not not in sync. But right. Yeah, Bernstein said first up the steps, and then like they're going out, and just like they're not really on the same level. But no. then you get to this moment, and they are really they're just officially intertwined. They're just like in you know in step with each other. So. It's a it's a really it's a good cross sectional minute because you've got this cynicism and speculation. As you said, I love it. You said it's trepidation because it is. It's like uh, the. The fact that there are five reporters in town that are working on this in 2000, you do have to put a question mark, but you do, you do have to do it because like, that's the other thing is like, I suppose now when we look at now what journalists would be contending with is, you know, scandals at the level of Watergate seem to happen every five minutes, you know, in, in, mm-hmm. in both my political realm and yours particularly. Um, and it's like it, chasing down people or dedicating people to chase it down you know, these conversations I imagine must be like incredibly tough for editors. Like we don't yeah. have the time to give that person the time to chase it down because, you know, to be honest, like it's the inverse. It's not like, Hey, we might find this like malfeasance, which, you know, does have some weird tendrils up to the presidency. It's like, Oh no, we've got some really bad crap that's going on. Like some really, really awful shit. We know that it's happening, but don't worry. There's going to be another one tomorrow. You know, there's going to be another one and next week. And it's also, yeah, it's also, that's, you just mentioned, like, it's got, got to the point now where reporters be doing shit, reporting something that is very scandalous, that it does seem like a scandal, but is it enough of a scandal? It, it, we've got to that point in, uh, I don't know what to call it, culture, just like, where it's just like, is, is this as enough of a major scandal to report about? <laughs> yes. Because, you know, I, you know we, I, I don't know how it is, once again, don't know how it is in Australia, but here we have a president who's just, just like ass deep <laughs> in scandals. And just like, you know, I literally know people who are trying to get his DNA so they can finally sue him for, uh, you know, harassment charges and whatnot. And you would think people would talk of, <laughs> you know, the newspapers and the and the, 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 the news channels would talk about that shit all the time. But there are so many other things to talk about. So many other things. Man. <laughs> and that's just one of many things. It's, it's, it's just, yeah. It's, it's a... Um, it's an insane, it's an insane period because, you know, I, I think I joked around facetiously that like during the, during the election time, you know, we've just seen, they're talking about the scenes and, and, and even, um, even John McMartin mentions it in, in this scene. He's like, oh, the McGovern thing, they imploded, you know, like they imploded, you know, talking about an incumbent or a democratic candidate that it's imploding, you know, they can't get themselves to get, they can't get their shit together. They're not going to beat Nixon. Why would Nixon go out on a limb and do this? And it made me reflect on the whole, like grabbing, you know, grabbing by the pussy moment. It's like, 
Yeah. It feels like in... Oh, remember that? Remember when we all fought? <laughs> oh, it's over. That's oh, that's exactly that's, a, that's exactly what I mean. It's like, the, you know, McGovern has a vice president candidate who once had shock therapy, and that is the yep. end of that career. Like the entire Donald Trump election run was shock therapy for the international community <laughs> and particularly the yeah. American community, because it was like there was some scandal after scandal, lie after lie, exaggeration after exaggeration. It was reported factually across a whole stream of papers, whether they sit a little to the left or right in the center or to the right. And it's like, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. We've given you scandal after scandal after scandal. And, and you know, the ones that stick, uh, I mean, look, you know, um, this might sound controversial, but, you know, I, I'm not necessarily sure that Hillary Clinton was the right candidate either. I was, a, I, as a as an outsider, I was like a Bernie guy. And then there was a whole bunch of weird stuff that happened with the Democratic, elec uh, Democratic election thing, which is that Bernie was actually selected as the candidate, but then they just sort of put Hillary in over the top. So that was kind of weird as well. But it just, it, it, when I think about this sequence, I'm like, things that used to cause political runs to implode now are just like we're just like yeah. brushing them off like a fly you're just like see ya. yeah see you later i think it also is just it just depends on just how strong the other side wants it because it's just like the you know just the the republican base are just basically drawn up of a bunch of people who are so uh, afraid to lose stranglehold of uh of power that they will just just, just, just go, uh, just, 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 just go. They just go no matter what, you know, people like this is like Trump has given them many reasons why he is not a suitable president, just a suitable human being. And, but they're still, uh, you know, standing behind him because they just don't want, they just want that control. And it's just, it's, just, and just remind, and and you know maybe like it kind of, it, it just goes back to all what what all this is about, what all the president's meant. Because I mean, I mean, wasn't the whole thing that he the reason Nixon resigned because the fucking Republicans told him to resign because he couldn't, just like they didn't want this blemish. Yes, you know, just the, the blemish the party and everything. It's like just, you, you got to go. So it's just like like what 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 the hell happened. Why? Why wasn't Republic, more Republicans more responsible during that time than they are now? I think I think you may have just nailed it, which is this power. It's you know that that yeah. and you know when the shifting, you know, and and this is the fascinating thing you see like surveys, and you see what like the next generation, like younger than you and I, like the next generation coming through, extremely progressive very open with rights like civil rights are like their top priority you know uh, environmental issues and concerns and fairness and justice and when you poll those people they all like it's just blue like you know 15 16 17 year olds all across the world it's just blue like it's just this litany of you know, democracy and more socialist thoughts, not whether it's not socialism, but it's like socialized medicine, for example, you don't have to be a socialist to have socialized medicine. You know, we in Australia have socialized medicine essentially, but it's like, you know, we're a deeply capitalist country. Um, and it's, it's just this fascinating thing where I think you may have nailed it as like the stranglehold, like at that time, the Republicans knew that they would still probably be able to maintain a presidency and have a stranglehold on 
conservative values if they just had a better candidate than Nixon at that time or someone who was could come in and be fresh. Whereas like they might, you know, they might be at their last legs, you know, like you've got to think of how old is, how old is that base? How aware are that base? And they're trying to weaponize them more, you know, digitally and do all that sort of stuff. But, you know, things are being, you know, things are moving, things are progressing. And, and I think that it's going to get harder and harder to swing that pendulum back the other way uh, as, as, as time goes on. Well, yeah, you know, I was thinking about it is because, like, listen, I, uh, it, it's, a, it's a goddamn nightmare here. Like, you, I'm pretty sure you've seen just, like, with the the pandemic and the, the protests. Well, in, 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 it's just, in, like... In the, the protests and the pandemic in your state having 4,000 new cases, like, a couple of days yeah. ago. And, yeah, and, and, and just... And the protests that are still going every single day in some parts of the country. Well, I just... You think that yeah, with all this stuff happening, that that leaders would be more just attuned to just just do the right thing? Because it, you know, I was just reading about stuff going on in Australia. Because of course, yeah, of course, you have the issue, you know, gun control and everything. Like you guys are like the gun control champions of the world, <laughs> and uh, the, and even when the with the pandemic, like the right wing. Uh, well, I, I forget who the who's who's running the the whole continent. Yeah, he's but it's just like, he's, he's he's essentially right wing prime minister. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just like even but like even uh, well that person he you know put his foot down and just you know realized hey people are dying let's 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 shut this shit down let's lock it down let's concentrate so at least so now you just like they have hundred and two people dying apart from the like thousands, hundred thousands of people, people die in America. And just like, even with, and even when you guys were, you know, dealing with the whole gun control thing, you had a conservative leader handling that and realized that just like, okay, there these, there's these mass shootouts or whatever. Let's, let's clamp down on gun control. So it's just like, even if you don't agree or disagree with certain uh, politics, they will just, uh, just real, just, you know, when time comes to it, they will do the right thing for the country, and, and you know. And but we don't have that. Motherfucker, <laughs> just like everybody's grandma dying, and we still don't figure out how to figure deal with COVID. But it doesn't matter because motherfuckers are still going outside with no mask on. Because of course you can't tell them to put masks on because that's uh, that's that's hindering on their their constitutional rights, which I'm sure they've never read, <laughs> and it's just. It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just insane over here, man. And just like, what what the fuck? Why are y'all conservatives better than our... I know, like, we, we can also talk about the whole stuff with the, the racial aspect, which I would love to get yeah. into. But just like, but just in terms of just like making sure nobody dies a lot, why are your, your right-wing conservatives better than ours? Uh, I... I, I... I don't know. Like the, the, the answer is I don't know because like at face value, our prime minister, Scott Morrison, like I would never have elected him in a million years. He's in, in my mind, he's a complete dope. He's however, I think one of the things that he may have realized is his limitation. Also our election was really close. Our last one and the candidate that he was running against was fucking awful for our, for our, you know, uh, democratic uh, party was basically essentially equivalent, which is our labor party. I mean, they can't get their shit together. Number one, they can't get a candidate that works, that's smart, that's articulate, that 
represents what the party stands for. They got a lot of work to do. Number one. But yeah. I think our conservative leader at this time, this is the thing I actually deeply appreciated about his leadership at this time, which is like they deferred a lot of their expertise to our medic, like our chief medical officer in the country. It was a relief. Like most press conferences would go up. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And basically we'd spend 30 seconds or, you know, a couple of minutes outlining what their rationale was with this and why they were doing this. And then they would hand it over to our chief medical officer to basically articulate and explain all of the reasons that underpinned the decisions. And all of the premiers, yeah. which are essentially like governors, equivalent of your, like of all of our mm -hmm. states, all sat in a room with the prime minister and the chief medical officer and like, this is what we're doing, this is when we're doing it, this is how we're doing it. And basically just did like, they did that, they, they made it happen. And a couple of other massive things that helped for our country was like, we've got socialized medicine, so, you know, when tests need to happen, it's free and all that sort of God stuff. God damn it. But, but that, that. That that major thing was, and this is what I, I can, like, I'll shout out, I'll give him actual respect, is, like, he deferred the expertise to the experts and didn't have an ego about it, just said, we need to fix this, we will do everything, and they literally have pulled out all stops, and, uh, and you know, now when he's, when, now when some of the, the Black Lives Matter movement has reached Australia and it's talking more exclusively about, like, Australian Indigenous rights, and there's been a lot of people, you know, a lot of outcry because a lot of the same you know, police brutality challenges have happened in Australia when it comes to indigenous people. Um, that when it's, when he starts to talk about that, that's when he goes back into his conservative mode. No, yeah. that's not what we're like. We don't do things like that. No, our country's not like that. And you're like, bitch, fucking read a history book, yeah. read the stats. Yeah, yeah. Like the stats are blinding. Yeah. Like use the same approach that you used with COVID ask legitimate experts. And if we've done something wrong, just go, yes, they, this is bad and we're going to implement X, Y, Z. And once we do that, that's, you know, like it is what it is. You know, you can, you can, it, it's, it's awful. And I just don't understand why he's not taking the same approach. Um, it, it's, it's just well, one yeah, of those baffling things. Yeah. Uh, Cause I have read, yeah, I read about that too. Just like how like everybody's not dead. Let's get back to, you know, saying stupid shit about people <laughs> of color. And yeah, it's, because you, yeah, you're talking about the whole thing about uh, just, just rely, you know, t listening to medical experts. I don't know what the fuck that is I don't with us. I don't understand. Where that. we don't want to listen to the people with degrees and uh, just who actually know about medical stuff. Because for some reason, like when, because like I mentioned earlier, just like I, people talk about, hey, Wear masks. Did I ask you to wear like gloves and everything? Just wear a goddamn mask, and people are like, "Oh, we we're not we're not supposed to, you know, have the CO two up again." And just like I feel like close up, and then now all these videos of white women losing their shit at Walmart because these people at Walmart just just wear a goddamn mask so you won't infect everybody, and they can't even do that. It's just, uh, it's. It, ba it baffles me because in, in Oz, in Oz, it was a bit like that. There's been some trepidation with folks wearing masks and stuff like that. Obviously, our outbreak wasn't as bad. But in the peak time, it's like, just go out with a mask. And, you know, the the thing that, you know, as like a, a citizen online is like, I look around Australia and like right now, the instances of infection and things like that, people rarely wearing masks now. It's like when you go into a shopping center, I, I definitely want to wear a mask, but if I'm out for a walk with my family, I'm good. You know, if I'm going to the beach, I don't, I'm, we're not wearing masks. But again, we're in a country where I think in New South Wales, I think we've had like less than 10 cases 
in my state, mm-hmm. less than 10 cases in maybe the last 10 days, you know, we're averaging like one or two a day. And this is even with, you know, huge protests for black lives matter and, and other things and things being more open and you, you have, you having allowed to have more friends and family over at your house. because so, we had a lot of restrictions and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy because then like I, you know, with the black lives matter protests and everything happening, it's like, you sort of forget about the pandemic still thriving. And then you look at the stats yeah. and it's like, it actually in, Texas, where they've had the least restrictions, it's like it's now out of control. And it's like, at what point is mm-hmm. someone going to go, this is actually genuinely out of control? Well, that's the thing. Everything is out of control. So it's not even like, it's not even like a thing worth mentioning. It's just, yeah, shit is out of control. It's <laughs> like the cops, cops are still, I don't know if you heard this, lynching is back. Oh. So it's just like, well, the people barely being lynched now. So, hey, like, yeah, shit is, is officially out of control. We don't need to actually say it out loud. Shit is out of control. It's fucking unbelievable. Sorry to bring it down like that. But no, yeah, no. True. Look, like, this is, this is, it's so, uh, you know, when I started this show, it was like, what? it's almost like a, a perpetual lesson. You watch this movie and you're like, how do these guys speak truth to power? You know, perseverance, you know, they had editorial backing, they had people pushing, they, you know, pe- people didn't want to hear about this story, but they made it emphatic and they worked their ass off and they just kept working to get things to where it is. And one of the challenges is that when you watch this movie now with everything that's going on, like, and, and I spoke to the great Matt Zola Zeitz on an episode that's upcoming with the show. And Matt was just like, like this movie feels like a fantasy. It doesn't feel like reality, like the re- not the reality that we're living in, and so it's really yeah. fucking hard to reconcile because you're just like, like the worst of the seventies that propelled it out of it, and Nixon's departure, you know, was cathartic in a, in many ways um, um, for for people, but it didn't. There wasn't this. It didn't maintain progress. Mm-hmm. It didn't maintain progress. Progress was actually squashed, and then it's it's you know, still coming around, still, still being engaged with, still happening. Uh, well, yeah, it's just, because it's, it's funny you say, like, the movie's kind of like fancy. It's fancy in, in terms of just, like, seeing journalists, uh, you know, serve as kind of like the hero. Yes. <laughs> and, it's always funny because came out because, of course, uh, a few years ago, Steven Spielberg came out with the post. Uh, Steven Spielberg came out with the post, and that was kind of <laughs> it's kind of saying, like we have to go back to the past in order to uh, just show how much journalism can uh, get shit done. Yes, and this is kind of the reason why, uh, and we just reason why people were so seeing uh, uh, journalism teachers were so showing all the president's men and broadcasting in the 90s yeah. <laughs> and broadcasting in the 90s when I went to high school so so people could yeah so, so it could serve as a reminder like hey you know if you if you you know you know if you're if you want to be a journalist you have to like realize you know try to still believe that you can uh track down things or uh, expose things that uh, that still that still matter and mean something. Yes. 
because you know just because it you know we we had a time where just like it's just like people are doing whatever, certain people in power just doing whatever the hell they want. And we still need people to to, to, to to hold them accountable. If that makes any sense. If that, if that still matters. <laughs> if, if people being accountable still matters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, I, hate, I hate to end this on a bummer, but I think that that was a really poignant way to maybe go out. Craig. Really, I'm sorry. Well, you know, no, no. Here's here's what we can do. I'm sorry if I, if I may. Add, no, no, go go. If I, if I may add something, because uh, the thing that I wanted to talk to for some reason the most about the scene is that uh, you know, the, uh, when we cut to um, Dustin Hoffman in the newsroom, he, he, we look at his desk and there's the goddamn bike wheels, and uh, you just realize. That whole shit, uh, wait a minute, does this mean Carl Bernstein is a cyclist? And of course, if you Google Carl Bernstein's bike, you find his whole goddamn history of him <laughs> being a cyclist. I love that they added that little moment in there. So just as a reminder, like, oh shit, uh, Carl Bernstein uh, used to ride, because he used to ride a bike. All you know, two you know, around DC lived. I think in Capitol Hill, and uh, he would ride uh, to work in a bike. And there's actually a part in him, all of presidents men where uh, he talks about, I believe, his his Raleigh getting stolen. Like his Raleigh, Raleigh bikes, crazy enough. <laughs> I used to live in Raleigh and work in Raleigh. And then uh, he also brings up, he finds out that uh, Jeff Magruder. Uh, who they, you know, of course, one yes. of the people, you know, they look at. He uh, he was a cyclist too, and it freaked him out. That yeah. is such a great touch. It is literally at the forty-first second of this minute. If anyone's interested, that bike wheel. I just like I've never in any of my research picked that up about Carl Bernstein. That is so great. I just thought it was again the thing that I always noticed with Carl at that desk is the three coffee cups at ver varying yeah. levels of um, being finished, and that his desk is particularly a shit fight, even more than all of the people that is around him. Um, so I, yeah. I've never noticed it, but that is such a funny touch. It's like no, we need that touch in there. Bernstein's a famous cyclist. That's so funny. That's that is yeah. That is a great pickup. And then also another thing I read about, because, like, he was pulled over, I think, for running, uh, for running a red light on his bike. Yes. And, like, the cops were, like, ready, like, if you got a ticket, that would be a two-point assessment against, you know, against your license, and you get a fine. And he and he went to, like, he went to court, and he fought that shit. <laughs> and he, uh, he, he won that. And, of course, he, he went on to topple the Knicks administration. So, hey, it all worked out. So. <laughs> Just so you know, everyone out there who's a cyclist, maybe you can topple a U.S. administration if you run a red light on your bike and you yeah, fight in a you win. You, you don't have to work for Grubhub and Postmates <laughs> all the time. You just, you're going to actually do some... Oh, shit. You, you need to make a change. Just... 
Craig, Lindsay, mate, thank you so much for doing this show. Thank you so much for being a part of all the President's Minutes. It's great talking to you. I think it was a rollicking roller coaster of a conversation, but I loved it. And I loved hearing about your time in the paper. I loved uh, hearing you wrangle the chaos. And I especially love um, uh, I-, I love your your platform for these poor Deliveroo and Grubhub drivers to have a future. So thank you so much for being a part of the yeah. show. And and you also have, a, and I love hearing you because you have a very soothing voice. But then, like, <laughs> yeah, of course, Australians have very soothing voice. I don't know. Your, your voice reminds me, for some reason, of Margot Roby's brother. I don't know why. <laughs> but it's just like all y'all have soothing Australian voices. So it was, it was very nice talking to you. You're welcome. So where can we find... I do want to give a shout out to where folks can find your podcast and, uh, and, and, and all of your other stuff really quickly. Uh, well, yeah, every, uh, every other Friday I do a podcast called everything is canceled. Great title. And uh, yes, you can uh, hear it on like all, you know, Apple podcasts. Just, if you want to go to the source, it's anchor.fm slash uncle Crizzle, U-N-C-L-E, C-R-I-Z-Z-L-E. And also, if you want to hit me up on the uh, Twitter, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, I'm on TikTok. <laughs> I don't do any TikTok shit, but I'm on it, so I'm watching all you. Uh, I'm on. I'm on Bite. Uh, just I'm on like. Just type in Uncle Crizzle. Just, just, just put that in the search engine, and you will be introduced uh, to a whole to to my whole world. And what a world. Thanks so much for being a part of the show, my friend. You're the best. Uh, Thank you for having me, sir. That was the incredible Uncle Crizzle himself, Craig D. Lindsay. If you want to find him, the best place I I genuinely recommend is at Uncle Crizzle, which is C-R-I-Z-Z-L-E, at Uncle Crizzle on Twitter. That is the best place you can find him. Man, he was so much fun. Um, That will lead you off into all of his different projects, and uh, we have links in the description for his podcast and his Twitter. Oh, Craig, that that was a blast and and a roller coaster. We went to the deep darkness of despair and then we went all the way to Grubhub and Deliveroo. Uh, What a treat. Guys, thank you so much for listening to all the President's Minutes. We have a monster week coming for you this week. Um, Lots of episodes, four big ones in fact and some great ones in the coming weeks. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. If you can, jump into our description. There's a place to donate some cash in there if you want to support us or if you have the means to support us. We totally get if you cannot right now. It is an incredibly tough time. So a share, a recommendation to a friend, reach out to us mail at oneheatminute.com at atpmpod on Twitter or at one Blake Minute is where you can find us. We'll catch you on another episode soon. Thanks for listening.